Hi, this is Joy Brandon. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today it's just me. I'm going to record some thoughts in a short, shorter form podcast today on Disney, uh, the Magic Kingdom, lessons from the Magic Kingdom for business owners. Uh, we live in Southwest Florida. I grew up in Central Florida. We've Mickey Mouse is pretty much ubiquitous around here. We've been many, many times. There was a time when we had annual passes. When our boys were little, they're now 17 and 14, but we do have a seven-year-old. And pre-COVID, uh, we had planned this trip. Actually, the, the week that they shut down the park, we had planned a trip over spring break in 2020 to take my youngest, who was five at the time, uh, to Disney World for her first time. We were going to camp at Fort Wilderness and visit several of the parks. And needless to say, uh, COVID hit and that whole trip got scuttled. It took us two years to get back, but we, we went uh, several weeks ago. And I was struck... Uh, I may have had this feeling before. I may have noticed these things before, uh, but for some reason they were just in very stark relief on this visit. And I, I found myself asking a lot of questions and even writing down thoughts about what made this place unique. Now I will say uh, before we get into it, that Disney as a corporation has been in the news uh, quite a bit lately and there are people have some very polarizing opinions about Disney based on the things that have come out, and they're uh, essentially pushing an LGBTQ agenda um, and somewhat surreptitiously on children and irregardless of what their parents may or may not think. And I'm not on board with that. I don't think that's great. Um, but I, I'm going to be talking today about the theme parks in particular, which are not, you can't divorce them from Disney as a company. Uh, but that is all to say, I, it's not that I am Pollyannish and I don't see the warts and the wrinkles and the blemishes on Disney. And I don't disagree with, with some of the things that uh, I've seen recently. But I also believe that in every situation, there are lessons that we can pull from it. And that's my goal today is to not. Uh, have such a polarized view that I can't see the nuance and I can't see the good for the bad. So I'm going to get into what I believe are kind of seven key uh, things that I saw or that, that I witnessed and that I thought about as we came out about it and what business owners can learn about Disney. And, and the reason that I say this is because not only do I believe that their business is, does well, like they, they run a good business, they have a good business model. Uh, they make money at it. I don't know whether, I don't know, I haven't dug into the financial uh, reports or if, if it's even disclosed in their public uh, SEC documents of how well the theme parks do. But I'm assuming, uh, and this may be a, not a good, great assumption, but it looks like a fairly well-run business. And even if they are using the theme parks uh, as loss leaders or they're not the profit, you know, the prime profit center of the business. They do serve a purpose and Disney as a whole is doing very well. So that whatever purpose they serve, whether that's straight profitability or whether that's feeding other parts of the business, they are performing that service at a very high level. And so I look at that and I, I look at the businesses that we work with and say, there's a lot of stuff here that can translate. And some of it may be very, very difficult, and some of it may may seem impossible given where you may be at this point in time. But if you set your bar high, you're going to achieve more than if you're content with the status quo. So even if some of this stuff seems impossible, I would encourage you to think, well, how can we get even closer to that? Because it's going to, to be beneficial. So the first point, like in, in all of these um, – 
all of these comments are really based on the employees. My question, the question that I was asking as I interacted with these employees, and this really should be kind of the title of the podcast, is how do you create phenomenal employees? How is it that you can take somebody who is 19, 20, 21 years old, or 30 years old, or 40 years old, or 50 or 60 years old, irregardless of age, but you can take these people, and on your way to the park, you can stop at a restaurant or uh, some other business, and you can run into somebody who's the exact same age, exact same demographic, and yet the experience of interacting with that individual could not be more different between the two locations outside of Disney, inside of Disney. I'm also not saying that everybody at Disney's perfect and all the employees are exemplary, but if I paint with a broad brush and speak in, in terms of the overall experience, Disney has phenomenal employees. They don't call them employees. They call them cast members. So you have to be very careful. You know, if you're a Disney aficionado, I want you to know that I know that don't, when I say employees, don't be offended. They're cast members, but they're phenomenal. How do you create these? So number one of the seven kind of things I want to talk about. Number one, have the world's best product. Uh, I said the bar was going to be high, right? I said that it may seem impossible, but if you have the world's best product, it has an effect on your employees. They stand a little taller. They, they walk a little taller. They stand a little straighter. They speak with a little bit more confidence or a lot more confidence. And, you know, again, say what you want about Disney or the quality of the rides or the quality, but Disney, the Magic Kingdom is the most visited theme park in the world and has been for a long, long time. Uh, One of the stats I looked at is like 20 million million visitors a year. Um, and, And the second place might be 17 or 18. So it's a pretty clear margin by which the world, the, the public, the, the, the paying public judges Disney to be the most successful theme park, or it's definitely the most visited theme park in the world. And so, you know, in your business, if you can have the best product, that's obviously going to bode well for your ability to recruit and retain the best employees and to have those employees act uh, exemplary, act, act, act better, uh, perform better, have better attitudes, have better customer engagement, have better team member engagement, have more accountability than the average employee. So if you feel like your product is inferior in any way, what are you doing to improve it? Because your employees are noticing that. If you're a, a roofing company and we work with one, a couple actually, if you're a, if you're a roofing company and you know that your product is inferior to that of a competitor, you have to understand that's having an effect on your employees. If you're a plumbing company and your service is inferior to another company, that's having an effect. Your employees know that that service is inferior or when they find out it's very deflating and it changes their behavior. So look at your product, look at your service. Is it the best that it can possibly be? Now, there are going to be guardrails. There are going to be constraints on this. You know, you might say, well, you know, with what we have, the price point that we're playing at, the place that we've picked out in the market, you know, we are we're building Toyotas. We're not building, uh, you know, Porsches. So, you know, you, we we can't claim that we don't have the best sports car in the world because that's not what we're building. And that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, if you build. Uh, 
four-door sedans in the $40,000 to $50,000 price point, are you building the best sedan in the forty dollars to $50,000 price point? Because if you're not, then your employees are not going to have the same esprit de corps that the best company in that price and category will have. So that's number one, have the world's best product. Number two, create a pristine, well-kept, beautiful, and fun place to work. The one thing about Disney, and it's interesting, we we, had, we went through this phase where we would have annual passes to Disney, and then we did annual passes to Universal Studios. When the boys were small, I think we did SeaWorld one year. And what was striking, I'll never forget being in line uh, for a roller coaster at Universal Studios, and there was a trash can that was kind of between the you know the line snake back and forth, and so there was this, kind of this gap between the railings, the kind of a no man's land where the 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 walkway that for the line kind of went around this zone, and it was barred off by these uh, by the railings, and so there was a trash can sitting in that area so that people could get to it from either side, and there was a layer of dust on top of the trash can. It looked like that thing hadn't been touched in ten years, and there was stuff kind of. Uh, around the the backside and the bottom of it, they kind of fallen around it. And nobody had cleaned it up. And I remember thinking to myself, this is the difference. That day, the only difference I saw between Universal Studios and Disney was that that level of care or absence of care. And it wasn't pristine. It wasn't kelp well kept. It wasn't beautiful. It was just this dirty, dingy little section of this line. Now that roller coaster was phenomenal. It was amazing. It was better than anything Disney had to offer. But the environment was one in which it just didn't look like it was well cared for. And if that, if that describes your business, if it's not pristine, if it's not well kept, if it's not beautiful, it's not a fun place to work, it has an effect on your employees. The, the environment matters. It's one of the things that I've been kind of cognizant of the, the whole time that I've been running a business is the environment that we're in. And some of the most frustrating times of business ownership for me have been placed, have been times when I didn't feel like our environment was where it needed to be. It wasn't, it wasn't fun. It wasn't beautiful. It could be well-kept. There's no excuse for it being dirty. I'll just say that like it needs to be pristine and it may not be the most beautiful place, but if it's pristine, if it's clean, if it's well-kept, that's, that's great. Um, but there've been times when I felt like, yeah, it's not beautiful. It's not fun. It's not, it's not this dynamic environment. And it's kind of an energy vampire when it comes to the, the morale of the people who come to work here. So that's important. That's number two, have a Christine, uh, have a pristine, well-kept, beautiful, fun place to work. Number three, everyone wants to be there. There's a very selective hiring process. Guard the gate at Disney. It is, if you know somebody, now things may be a little bit different now. COVID has kind of introduced, and, and COVID compounded with the great resignation has created, you know, the need for a lot of, of jobs. But I will say this, we went, we've been to quite a few theme parks. We've been to Busch Gardens, um, and we went to Six Flags in, in Williamsburg, um, maybe a couple others. Every place that we went, other than Disney, Rides were closed, concessions were closed because they didn't have enough people. But when we went to Disney recently, uh, everything was open. All the concessions were open. There was, there was not this uh, kind of overriding, oh, they're at 80% capacity. They, they have a very selective hiring process. People want to be there. 
and they guard the front door. They don't let just anybody come work there. If you know somebody, that's a big, big plus in terms of being able to get hired at Disney. And people get super excited. You can go search YouTube, and you can see people coming out of their interviews with Disney, and, and they got hired, and they're going to their orientation class, which we're going to get to in a second. And they're so excited to be there. So if you don't have a selective hiring process, if you let anybody through the door, if your attitude is we just need warm bodies because the market's so difficult, if that's your attitude, that's what you're getting. But if you have a selective hiring process, and yes, you're going to have to work a little bit harder, you might have to interview a few more people, you might have to interview interview 10 or 20 times as many people to find the people that you're looking for. And you might say, that's incredible. That's unreasonable. I, I can't even get people to show up for interviews, much, much less interview 20 more people. Again, I started this podcast by saying some of the things that I'm going to suggest are not easy and they may seem impossible. But if you're content with the status quo, you're basically going to always have what you have right now. So if you don't have, what can you do to make your hiring process a little bit more selective? Maybe it's not 10 more, 10 times as many uh, interviews, maybe one more interview, just do one more interview. And then maybe one more after that and see if it doesn't help you build a, a team of people who actually want to be there. Number four, bring happiness to others. One of the, the coolest things about Disney, I, we had this great experience uh, coming off Thunder Mountain Railroad at, at the Magic Kingdom. And there was a family, uh, they were not from the US, they were for, it looked like somewhere um, like Asia, Southeast Asia. And uh, th they got off the ride and they were so excited. They were just, they had had so much fun. And it was a, a father. Uh, and mother, and then two kids, and the kids are probably, I'd say there are two girls, one was maybe 12, the other seven or eight. And uh, they just had these smiles on their faces, and they were giggling and laughing, and were coming out the exit, and there was an employee, and he had the uh, the typical theme park uh, dustpan and, and broom, you know, the, the one that kind of collapses, you pick it up, and the dustpan kind of folds up. And he's a, he's a street sweeper. That's what this, this guy's job. He's dressed in character. You know, he had the the Frontierland outfit on, and uh, and his whole job was to just make sure that there's no trash around. And he witnesses this this family comes out, and they're right next to him. They're kind of all in the same space, and he sees how happy they are, and he goes, "Do you want to go again? Would you like to go again?" And they were, they were having a hard time understanding because they didn't speak English. And he's like, "I can make that happen. If you want to go again, you can go again." And I was like, this guy was, he was so, his job was to take the happiness that those people were fe were feeling and multiply it and add to it and just make people bring happiness to other people. I thought, man, if that, if you were trained and empowered to do that and somebody said, Hey, I know we're giving you a broom and a dustpan, but be on the lookout. If you see somebody, let me tell you what I did the other day. I, I found this family and they'd had a really good time or the kid had a first Disney visit. And it was obvious. He, he was saying the ride was awesome. I was like, you want to go again? Let's get back on the next one. I can make that happen for you. You can do that for people. That's part of your job is to do that. You think that person wouldn't feel like, man, this is so much better than working at a, at a restaurant or uh, in a landscaping business or doing any of those other entry-level jobs where the only responsibility you really have is to pick up trash and make sure that things are clean. 
But this guy had way more responsibility than that. His responsibility was to bring happiness to the customers who were there or the guests, as they call them. So that's number four. Number five, um, instill belonging and confidence through onboarding and training. So I did a little bit of research uh, when I came away from Disney, and I was curious as to, you know, what is, how do they create these phenomenal employees? And what was really cool is that they have a, a really good onboarding process. They have a, what's called the traditions class. And you can Google this and there, there are people coming out of their traditions class. There are people, new hires are getting ready to go into their traditions class. People who have just been hired will tell you, and my traditions class is coming up in, you know, next week. And it's a very well-known thing where they, they walk you through, where has Disney come from? How did it start? What was Walt's vision? And they, they want people to understand that you're part of a history here. And not just that, but when you get assigned to your particular job, if you are running a ride or you're in concessions in a certain part of Disney, like that's you get trained for that position. And there's an orientation to understand that area that you're working in, but also to be able to share stories about that area. And, and it's history and cool things that have happened there and different guests, you know, famous guests and what their experience was. And the training is there to make sure that they know how to be a good host for the guests who show up. What does that look like when it's compared to your training program? Is your training program just about how to go through the processes and procedures? Or does your training program also let people know this is where you stand in relation to the entire history of the company? Here's everything that's come before you. And here's, here's where we're going. Here's the, the vision laid out for where we're going. And this is where you're at in this particular point in the history timeline of this company. Does it give people that kind of place of belonging? And when you put them in their particular job role, are you not just training them on the systems and processes, but are you also kind of passing down some of the lore of that particular job? Hey, let me tell you about this technician. Uh, there's this great story you know, of, of this one guy and how he you know, made this monumental blunder, but it all turned out for good, or it was hilarious. Or here's, you know, the business owner, when he started, this is where he started. And this is, this is how he progressed through the company. Um, just, is there, is there, are there stories that you can tell? Are there lessons that you can pass on that will allow your people to interact with their customers with a level of confidence and belonging on, on day one, on day two, that even the most storied veteran has on your team? Or at least are you trying to get them closer to that veteran in terms of sense of belonging and place and ability to interact with customers and, and be a good host? And I think that's as, a, as a, an employer uh, who has employees, my greatest desire is that my employees would develop this skill and this talent for hospitality that makes our clients feel like they're, they're guests and we are awesome hosts when we're interacting with them. And your, your onboarding program is the first place that that starts. Number six, uh, 
there, there are core values that Disney has. They call them the four keys. And you hear us preach about values incessantly. Uh, we talk about values all the time. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't point out that one of kind of the core tenets of creating phenomenal cast members or employees at Disney is that they instill these four values. They're everywhere. Safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency. Those are the four values. Safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency. And they just, from day one, these are everywhere. It's every job description is talked about them. Every interaction with a customer they're talked about. Uh, every training, retraining they're talked about. They're there from day one. And then finally, number seven, and this kind of goes back to um, bringing happiness to others. There's specific training in the Disney training program about having fun with customers. It's not enough. It's like bringing happiness to them. Uh, that's one thing, it, but there's, there's another element of happiness when we're ha having it with the person. If we can have fun with our customers, if they can genuinely enjoy their interactions with us, God, I believe God has made us to be communal beings. He has made us to have relationships with other people. And Yes, there are definitely times when grieving is the central part of the relationship. There are times when, when conflict or accountability or difficult conversations are a central part of the relationship. But the part of the most joyful part of the relationship is just having fun together. If we're not having, if all you're ever doing is grieving, if all you're ever doing is having difficult conversations, that's a pretty flat relationship. But one in which those things happen. A minority of the time, but the majority of the time, you're legitimately enjoying your interactions. You're having fun with those people. Uh, man, that's what we all want. But to have that with customers, imagine if you had been trained specifically to have fun with customers and you were going to a place that had the world's best product. The environment was pristine. It was beautiful. It was well-kept. Everybody, all your coworkers, they wanted to be there because they had gone through a very selective process to get there. They knew that part of their job was creating happiness for other people. They had confidence and belonging because they'd been taught the legacy of where they came from, and they understood kind of the lore and the stories around the place. Their core values were being lived out every day, and they were having fun with the people who came to give them their money? How could you not just have this phenomenal experience where you rolled out of bed and were excited to go to work every day? I think those are some lessons that we can learn from Disney when it comes to creating phenomenal employees. I hope this has been helpful. I'll talk to you next time.